supposed to go to my seat now. But my mama's a 10-year cancer survivor. And she's standing right there. Wave your hand, mama. 10 years ago, she went through six months of chemotherapy, 34 treatments of radiation. You can't tell me what God wants. Come here, Bishop Hezekiah Walker. Don't you stand there like he's not a miracle worker. He's working a miracle for you right now. That's right. Somebody beside you don't understand your praise, but I want you to grab somebody around you that don't mind dancing, that don't mind praising, and I want you to hit the floor right now. Hezekiah Walker with Praise Break. Uh, somebody else, who is it? Oh, James Fortin. James Fortin. <laughs> Praise Break, y'all. Uh, he said, you got that. Said, you got that out of church, church friend. Listen, listen. Because I was shouting in the street, girl. I was shouting. I'm just saying, I had an image, actually. When he said, if you've been through what I've been through, then you owe God a praise. <laughs> Has like an image, and I say, you know, like our people done been through some stuff, you know what I mean? And yeah. you stand on like the firing squad, and you see everybody shot on your left, everybody shot down on your right, and you still stand. Yeah. You don't know what to do, but jump up for joy. You're like, well, I don't know what I did to deserve this. Okay. I'm not no better than my brother and my sister on my right or my left, but yeah. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do with this breath in my lungs is I'm going to praise them. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's about with whatever breath you have, like spreading that kind of divine love of gratitude for your ability to wake up in the morning because you know it wasn't it wasn't you who did it. Mm-hmm. All right, so welcome everybody. Welcome. It's Monday morning. If you're in California with me, it's Monday afternoon. If you are on the East Coast with Vanessa, I feel good this morning, Vanessa. 
listen, y'all, I went to church. I went to two churches. Good morning. How you doing? Um, I went to two churches yesterday to get extra ready, get extra prayed up for today's yeah. Black History boot camp. It was men's day at my sister's church. Let me get past this dog. He don't, he don't yes, please. I'm kind he of worried. Like, <laughs> What'd you do this weekend, Vanessa? Uh, I saw you, first of all. We hung out on Friday at the farm in Pennsylvania, which was really great with our crew. And then uh, I drove home, of course, Saturday night, and I spent all day laying down and just resting. I wasn't feeling well, so I just wanted to, like, pour into myself, and I laid on the couch. I watched some French films because I'm getting ready for a little retreat in France, so I watched some French films. And then yesterday I got up, wrote my boot camps for the week, um, considered it worship so that I could write. And then I went to, um, in the afternoon, me and my man went to a reggae festival at this wine place that we really love. And I came home and went to bed early. I was in bed by 10 p.m. That was a lot of details, but that's what I did. No, it sounds like a relaxation. We need the details. We need the blueprint on how to live our lives, girl. So that was good. Listen, writing as worship and then reggae and wine, that sounds like a Sabbath. <laughs> it was. It absolutely was. Yeah. And actually, on my ride home from with you in Pennsylvania, I've listened to this amazing book. You can read it, listen to it. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And the entire book is building up to this premise that we all need to be observing and practicing Sabbath as worship and rest. And it talks about it so in detail and so powerfully. And I have been moving myself towards that. And, it, and his thought is that if you do something on Sundays, then it should be only fall into two categories, worship or rest. And he was like, worship can be defined broadly. He was like, and so that's why I was like, yeah, to me, writing is worship. But he was like, if it's not worship or rest, you shouldn't be doing it. And he was like, and if we can't give ourselves even that one day for those to Chandler things, Moore. then yeah. Yeah, I was I was listening to Chandler. First of all, we don't talk about this stuff before, so this you can consider this God working. That I was talking yeah. about the Sabbath, and she listened to a book about the Sabbath. It um, is because where two we are gathered, that's where truth lives, y'all. That's where love lives. So, but I kid you not, I'm at my mama's house, y'all. Me and Carol Jean this morning was listening to Maverick City, and Chandler Moore was doing a prayer in that hymn medley, and he said, "Let the rest of the Holy Spirit." come over me, let the rest of the Holy Spirit be in my mouth, be in my body. So even the Holy Spirit Spirit being rest is like an interesting concept to me. <laughs> like that those two are yeah. that worship and rest are not really that different, that it really is connecting with a bigger source and, and letting go of your ego self, thinking you can muscle through this world and that's resting it, and relaxing into that's it. the that's greater it. good that you know is coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm trying to get my 15-minute mile in and feel the breath in my lungs to go out and walk. Welcome to Black History Boot Camp. Somebody, this is their first one. Maybe somebody saw their friend. And to the friends, I'm going to tell you, we're going to try to make it good. So <laughs> your word is bond. <laughs> and today, we, we cover a different topic in Black history. This season, we are covering sites of significance, actual locations, physical geography, in Black history, um, what was your favorite one last week, Vanessa? Ooh, that is such a good question. 
first of all, I thought the whole week was bomb. Let me just say that, like, not to toot our own horse, but I was like, this is some flawless storyteller here. I loved, um, <laughs> I, it's, a, it's a tie between the Malcolm X episode and the birth of hip-hop. Like, both of those, which happened yeah. to be day one and two, I just thought, like, they yeah. covered so much about what we were even going to talk about. And then, and Fannie Lou Hamer, I mean, that was, like, maybe that one, too. Like, I really loved all of the episodes. Yeah. I agree. It's hard to pick because they all kind of went together in a weird way. Right. Kind of all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we didn't even plan it like that. And they kind of all went together. So I hope this week is as beautiful. I didn't plan it like that, but you know. I didn't plan it like that. I didn't look at the Look at the stories and say, like, what was going to make a good week, one week, two? Because that's why tomorrow we No, but I'm actually talking about. No, I'm actually talking about the dates. I don't know if you realize that what Fannie Mm -hmm. Lou Hamer was doing was at the exact same time as when hip hop was starting. And that is a crazy idea. It is. (laughs) It is. The thought that that level of poverty was in Mississippi where people couldn't eat. And then hip hop was happening at the same time is like, you don't think about it. Like, you don't. don't. And I appreciate your thoughtfulness (sighs) too. (sighs) So listen, my mama wouldn't raise me right if I did not start this particular episode in prayer like we did on the TED stage. Let the words in my mouth, meditation in my heart be acceptable in my sight. Oh, Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's get into it, y'all. Did you read the email? The address. Three, one, two, Azusa Street, Los Angeles, California. Mm-hmm. First of all, Vanessa, I was like, Azusa has to mean something. What is yeah. Azusa? Have you heard of the word Azusa or Azusa Street before? I have heard of both, and my cousin Angel went to Azusa Pacific College out there in California, but Perfect. I didn't, never even thought to think about what it meant. Me either, girl. I've been hearing it my whole life because I was raised Church of God in Christ. I never thought about what the word meant, but it's actually beautiful because what happened at Azusa was so much about language, and we'll talk about it in a second, and being filled with tongues, um, that understanding the etymology of the word Azusa kind of matters. So I was like, well, what does Azusa mean? Vanessa. Taking it back, shout out to all of our Native American friends. Shout out to Nick Tilson and the Lakota Nation. Today is oh, Indigenous we, People's Day. Uh, come on. We don't celebrate. Because we don't celebrate first Bo Wallace. So it is. Come on with the tiger <laughs> on Indigenous People's Day. Yes. Yes, yes, perfect. See, Vanessa, you be planning without planning, girl. Azusa <laughs> is a Native American name of a woman who was a healer, Vanessa. A Native American woman who was a healer. And she was so spirit filled. And this was like in the 1700s when California was still indigenous land. She was so spirit filled. That wherever she went, whatever Native American village she went to was just miraculously healed. And she went to a village chief and the village chief was really gravely ill. And he called for her because people across the, you know, the land were talking about this, this powerful young woman. He called her, she healed him. And then he said, it was the Shoshone people. He said, we will call her Azusa, which means the blessed one. So mm. that already means something. That's already almost a lesson. Close the book and let's go home. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So first of all, the fact that Black people in the early, early 1900s were carrying on a legacy of our Native American brothers and sisters is powerful. 
is powerful to me. And so 312 Azusa Street, and it was called Azusa Street, I think, after the Azusa revivals, because before, I don't think, they, the city didn't, wasn't paying homage to the Native Americans. It was the people. So it was called Azusa Street after the Azusa revivals happened there. Okay. Let me tell you what happened. Okay. Oh, no. First of all, I just... What part of California of is it in, though? What part of Azusa? Los Azusa Angeles. Street? Okay, that's I looked okay, it up because I knew you was going to ask. But, you know, we, we live <laughs> in L.A., so you need to know exactly yeah. where it happened. Vanessa, yeah. it's right between Skid Row and Chinatown. It was in the shadiest Ooh. part of Los Angeles then. That was already the shadiest part of L.A., and it was real shady when we were right. there, right? It's, it's gentrified now, but because I try to look it up on Google, it's like some, shel- like some shelter space or something. But, yeah, it's between Skid Row and Chinatown, like right in the heart, the thick of things. And I'm going to tell you how they got there. Because okay. they actually started on 216 Bonnie Bray. Do you, know, do you remember Bonnie Bray, that street? No. Do it sound familiar? Okay. It crossed over like Santa Monica and Beverly. It's like if you're going toward Echo Park, you cross this street mm-hmm. called Bonnie Bray. It's kind of close to the Scientology stuff. And that's not an accident because that whole part of, of Los Angeles was like a spiritual revival back then. It's crazy, wow. girl. It's all connected. It's all connected. So it started at a house, 216 North Bonnie Bray. And that house was the friend of a man um, named William J. Seymour. Now, if you have not heard of William J. Seymour, I did not know this man's name like that. I had heard it once or twice in my life, but I did not commit it to memory. I am committing it to memory right now. William, think of somebody you know, William. Somebody, William, this, William. I had a student named William who had these bright green eyes. William, I'm going to remember that. J. Seymour. The only Seymour I know is a little self horse, but Seymour, William J. Seymour, okay? That is this man's name. And I want you to remember him because he is an icon in black history, in world history, and in religious history, and he is robbed of his legacy because of racism. Now, William J. Seymour was born in Louisiana, Vanessa. He was born to parents who had been enslaved and emancipated. He was born in 1880, and his father had fought in the Civil War. Okay. As a result from fighting in the Civil War, his father died from a contracted illness in battle. And his, at 18 or 19 years old, William Seymour became the head of the household, really, because his father passed away fighting for our freedom. So as the, you know, the breadwinner of his home, he worked tirelessly, Vanessa, to try and save the land that his father either bought or got as being, uh, you know, as a veteran of the Union Army, his father had land and his, his mother was on there. He was the second of, I think, six kids in Louisiana, and he had to work to try and keep this land in the hands of his mother. Now, we already, we already done talked about the fact that it was this time when 12 million, 12 million acres of land was stolen from black people in Mississippi alone. Yeah. That does not include Louisiana. So we know the trials of trying to keep your land in this terrorist reconstructive South where the Ku Klux Klan was organizing to murder us and to kill us and to terrorize us. So this man was trying to protect his father's legacy, protect his um, family wealth and keep the land. The family was Catholic as many black people in Louisiana were at that time and continued to be shout out to the black Catholics. 
and particularly in Louisiana, Catholicism was a beautiful, beautiful marriage between indigenous African culture and Catholicism, whereby they could synchronize the best of African culture and tradition within the Catholic faith and the saints, and we could continue to practice our religion. So that is significant to me. I don't know exactly what it means, but it's significant that he was Catholic and that he was able somehow to preserve some kind of spiritual umbilical cord back to the motherland. You like that? Y'all like that? Y'all like that? Yes. <laughs> yes. And so what happened is, Vanessa, the terror got too much. It got too much in the South. And he's a young man. He's bright. He's spirit-filled. He starts to have like a calling on his life and he can't figure out, he can't shake this calling. And so what you need to know is that at the turn of the century was the greatest moment of exploration, maybe in American history, like spiritual, philosophical exploration. I mean, this is when like, if you ever heard the word Chautauquas were happening, where people would Mm -hmm. gather under tents and start telling philosophy and debating politics. This is also the time where P.T. Barnum in the 1880s was marching elephants across the Brooklyn Bridge. This is when leisure time became a thing because industrialization was starting to happen and mechanism um, through machines was starting to free the laborers and the laborers had a minute to rest and think about what do I want with this precious life? So in that rest is when psychosis can come, first of all, if you don't get a grip on who you are and who you are. And so these people who had been terrorized for generations for the first time had leisure time. And they wanted to reconnect with their spirit selves, Vanessa. And so there were radical religious movements, both black, white, and otherwise, that started happening at this time. This is when the Mormons started happening. The Mormons' story started, right? Although the dates is magical <laughs> story, but this is when it started happening, right? So the Christian scientists, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, this was a time of massive religious fervor, Vanessa. Okay, so that with the first generation of freed Africans in America was happening. I just want you to know that. Now, I'm going to tell you why that's important, what you were talking about with Liberia, because as we get into what happened on Azusa Street, one of the most important legacies of William J. Seymour is that people from around the world came to learn from him, and especially missionaries came and went and took charismatic Pentecostalism to Liberia. Because it was the first place, it was the entry point, the legal entry point or former, former enslaved Africans back to the continent of Africa. And so the entire religious fervor that I experience every day in my home in Ghana really did start in Liberia and then it, it made its way down. So it, it, it did not actually come from the slave trade, that kind of Pentecostalism, which people assume. It actually came from an intentional development of a religious movement that happened in the 1900s. So let's back up. Out of Liberia. Yeah, they came from Azusa Street to Liberia. Like, I'm not kidding you. This was the connection. So I'll tell you about it in a second. All right. So this is what happened. So this young brother, he had a calling on his life. He could feel it. He couldn't rest at night until he just moved. So he went to Indianapolis. And in Indianapolis, he started um, learning about, I think he first joined like a Methodist church. And then he went and um, he went to Cincinnati and he, w- he started learning about the holiness movement. And then he went to Houston and he started um, studying with this man named Parnum, who was this very Chautauqua-like white man who was like really playing with this idea 
that, you know, Acts, Acts, the book of Acts talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit. And he was really playing with this idea that the Holy Spirit comes to you in tongues, right? But he had something called, I think it was Zeno, Zeno, this is making me sound like I'm in phonics. (laughs) Let me find a word. Let me find a word. Y'all, I'm going to find it one second. Uh, glossolalia is speaking in tongues, but this is xenoglalia, I think it is. I didn't even look it up. That came from Jesus. All right, xenoglalia. See, that ain't even right. I'm just like, what's up like that, y'all? Really <laughs> but he, he believed that because one time in his church, this Parnum guy, one time in his church, this woman started speaking and she was speaking essentially Chinese and people could interpret it. And so that's what Xenoglacia is. It is the Holy Spirit coming on you and giving you languages that are decipherable on the planet, right? But glossolalia is like a divine language. And so that was really the, the kind of difference. But also this first guy, Parnum. Well, do you, when you was, say languages that are decipherable, are you saying that people can just decipher languages that they didn't know they knew? Yes. So you, Vanessa, would just start speaking Ukrainian. And then somebody in the audience would be like, she's talking to me. <laughs> like, oh, I understand Ukrainian. And she just told me to give my life to God. That's what was happening during that time. And so, you know, this is, this is what was happening in this, in this white guy's church, right? And so, you know, everybody was like fascinated by that. It is a fascinating thing. So people were coming to see and trying to like figure out what was going on. And so he came and he studied under this guy, but this guy... Parnum was, he was racist, Vanessa. I'm going to just put it out there like that. He started a lot. He gets a lot of credit in the religious movement for starting like the holiness movement, Pentecostal movement, this white guy, but he was very racist. And some people say he got all of his like theories from enslaved black people. Right. And so that he was just putting it on a particular stage and was getting particular credit for it. He was racist. He wouldn't even let William J. Seymour be in the class to study. So I'm the God you serve, but the God I serve let everybody in the class. So he wouldn't even let him in. So I had to sit outside of the class and learn this doctrine. Okay, he learned the doctrine. Then he went to Houston because he had like a special like something over him where people were like, this young man has something. He got a fervor. He got, he has something. You know, those kind of people, he has something. When he was kind of in his, on his path to learning, he contracted smallpox and he actually lost sight in one of his eyes, Vanessa. So he was blind in one eye. And he was like, I believe God did this because I am not following what he's telling me to do, which is I am not being obedient. Right. And so he got called. I'm feeling like that's a tie, Sorge. Somebody heard him preaching, and a woman actually. And in Houston, someone called him to preach at at her church, and he came down there, and he was just so magnetic. And he was, but they didn't like what he was preaching, and he was preaching that God is going to rain down on us. So everybody thought you should be saved, which means born again to a new life that is aligned with God, that you should be sanctified, which means that you are in communion with God and that you are trying to purify your life in a way that is in alignment with God's will and that you are filled with the Holy Ghost. This were, these were the three tenets that really de- um, made the distinction in this particular movement. Well, I actually think you have to say one? those again. That's how good they were. Say those again. Yeah. Oh, everybody 
and coaches, no, saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. That's how you start. I know, but I thought it was just, good. I knew it too, but I thought it was just like a, um, I thought it was just more like a fine trade. I didn't know it had like some yes. roots to it. So I'm yes. just trying to understand yes. that. And, yes. Yeah. I, but I actually thought it was like just one of those flippant culture. things that people, you know what I'm saying? No, like that's what's powerful. Yeah. Well, I didn't understand until I was doing this research. So I'm not going to front, but because I said it my whole life, God of the God, pastors, saints, missionaries, want to just tell you I'm saved, thanks for I feel with the Holy Ghost. Like that's what everybody says, but those three tenets are the tenets of, whole, of the holiness movement and, were, and, and really set people apart from, say, the uh, African Methodist Episcopal or any of the other powerful religions that were happening at that time. The AME Church if you remember, broke off from the Methodist church, go back to that Richard Allen episode that we talked about. And they were a powerful force in the liberation of black people. And they were a powerful force in the building of black community during reconstruction and after. In fact, 312 Azusa Street used to be an AME church. All right. So just keep all this in mind. I just want y'all to know the context before you hear how the spirit about the move. That's what you want so this Louisiana Catholic who done studied every single different type of religion and has excelled even being discriminated against from some of the most religious, fervorous people out there, he started his ministry, Vanessa. He went down to Houston. In Houston, somebody in L.A. heard him speak, and they was like, you've got to come be the pastor of our church, okay? Now, these were little kind of storefront pop-up churches, a couple of friends. Um, shout out to my friend who invited me to her church. There was about 14 of us holding strong in that church, and her, her husband was preaching yesterday, y'all, and it was this man on the organ. He was like, burr, 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 burr. it was good. So, um, shout out to this kind of like grassroots or religious organizing. And so she was like, you got to come to our church in, in LA. So he was like, bet God is calling me. Okay, let me go. He goes to LA and he is, Ooh, this is the juicy part. It was one sentence y'all I learned. I learned that before he went to Parnum, that he met with some, that somebody told him that he needed to go and get God's guidance on his life and meet with a religious, a black religious, like seer, essentially in the, in like in the woods in the South somewhere, I think it was in Mississippi. So he went down there and scholars think that he met um, with this religious seer and C.H. Mason. C.H. Mason is the founder of the Church of God in Christ. C.H. Mason, Mason Temple is where Dr. King gave the, I've been to the mountaintop speech. So it's all from Memphis. It's all coming together that he met with those two men. And before he even went, before he even heard of no part of and got this calling on his life. So I'm telling y'all, this is some good old black history. So <laughs> he goes to Los Angeles and he goes to the church and he starts preaching about this kind of fire that rains down on you. That is the divine presence of God that forces you to speak out in divine tongues. Well, they did not like that interpretation, which is a very African interpretation. I don't know if you remember, we had two Girl Trek members, one from a traditional African um, religion and one from the Assemblies of God on the stress protest t uh, stage talking about what it feels like to be still with God's presence. And they both decided the remember. same thing, but it was mm -hmm. slightly different. One was like, I felt a light come over me. And one of them said, I felt a fire come down on me, right? Yep. It's a very African way of interpreting and feeling and experiencing God. But by the way, that's what Acts says. Acts says that there will be a tongue that comes down like fire onto you. That's what the book of Acts 1, uh, one and something, two, four. Don't get me preaching. What do folks say? Okay. So he, so, he was, so he was in a Vanessa. 
he was saying that, right? And so the, the person did not like this interpretation. So she padlocked him out to church. And I said, so this is what people do to you sometimes. You can't be too free. <laughs> so he had a friend named Lee, a black man named Lee. And he lived over there where we used to live, like over where Amber lives. I swear you, I, I guess I can't swear. I promise to God, I don't seen this house before. 216 Bonnie Bray. And it's like this yellow house on the corner. I've seen it before. Uh-huh. This is a historic house in Los Angeles because this is where Seymour came. And he started tearing and praying with his friends, Vanessa, in this house, uh-huh. asking God to come down on American soil and bless And when I tell you, it was 15 black people, okay? 15 black people in this particular house. And the man whose house it was, his name was Lee. So the 15 black people in this black man's house in Los Angeles, California, right on the side of where the Hollywood studios are, were fasting and praying, Vanessa. In the third day of the fast, in April of 1906, I think it was April 9th, the third day of the fast. Vanessa, it was like lightning struck over the house. They said, like, this man said he was there. He said it was like coal, hot coal on his tongue. He said they was just knocked out in the spirit. He said, the lean man, the man who owned the house, got it first. And he just could not control his body. The Methodists even knew this was a thing before. They called it the body jerks, right? So everybody knows. That something can happen when you filled with the spirit, right? So, th- so this man just was like, after three days of fasting and praying, he fell out. Then, Seymour had never gotten the Holy Spirit. He pleading the most at everybody. He like, God, you know, blind to be on the camera, Louisiana. God, I just won't come. I just want to speak. But he was so fervent, and he was open that he had never received it before, and he really wanted it, right? And so here, his friend get it. She like, ain't this so? Right, his friend get it. Then six other people get it, seven people. And if you believe even in divine numbers on the third day, it happened and then seven people got the Holy Ghost, right? And he still didn't get it. Like the third or fourth person who got it was this woman named Jenny who eventually became his wife, okay? So they got the Holy Ghost, right? And everybody in the neighborhood hears it, knows about it, knows what's going on. He still don't got it. So the next day, hundreds of people come to this house on Brayborn. He's on the porch preaching the word, Vanessa, to these people. People coming up, everybody getting it. I mean, it's just like fire shut up in the bones of these free people. Everybody get it. Mm. These are workers, wash women. These are uh, 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 stagecoach drivers, right? These are like everyday Black people. And at first it was, it was, it was, it was particularly a Black movement. And so they came up, so many people came to that house on Bonnie Bray that the whole porch caved in, Vanessa, like in the second or third day. By the end of that fast, Vanessa, Seymour had finally got the Holy Spirit. He had tarried. He had, he had spoken the word across the country. He had brought all these people to God, and he just got filled with the light, right? And he was like, we are onto something. And so he went, and he said, we got to find a church. They went and they found this old AME church that had been abandoned. It was 60 feet by, by 40 feet. That's like, I'm, I'm six feet tall. So that's like 10 of me laying down, 60 feet. That is tiny by four of me laying down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tiny church and it was a double decker. And it was a, a rooming house at the top and it was a horse stable 
at the bottom. That's important because there was horse flies in there. It was like a nasty kind of little place like over there by Skid Row, right? And so, but it's the only thing they could afford. It was really affordable. Vanessa, thousands of people, they said up to 1,500 people would crowd into this space. And he said he was so egalitarian that he didn't have a pulpit. He didn't put himself on a riser. He was in the middle and then everybody was like in a circle and then people would come into the middle of the circle, right? And he... um. He didn't collect, he didn't collect offerings. It wasn't even tied to any religious movement or anything like there was no name for it. It was just a revival and they called it the Azusa Street Mission and that they were trying to get the blessings of God to come in, right? Which is even the tradition of the Native Americans. They called it Azusa Street Mission. And so they call, literally, or the Azusa Mission, they, and then they originally changed it to Azusa Street. So Vanessa, this is the miracle that started happening there. People of all races started hearing what was happening and all of them started coming. I'm talking white, black, Latino. At this time in Los Angeles, there were so many, it was formerly Mexico. There were so many people of indigenous culture who was coming in, bringing their flavor. Vanessa, there were women who were as important in this movement than men. In fact, 15 or so black women would stay there all the time praying. So it was like a 24 hour revival that happened for three years. And people from all over Los Angeles came, all of these journalists, the new, the Los Angeles times, all kinds of stuff wrote both flattering articles and the article that I sent to you that was veiled racism, poorly veiled racism. They started like writing about it. I'm going to I'm going to read you one thing that somebody said. And the thing, it was amazing. This is what they wrote about the revival visitors. It said, proud, well-dressed preachers came to investigate, in quotes. Soon their high looks were replaced with wonder. Then conviction comes. And very often you find them in a short time wallowing on the dirty floor, asking God to forgive them and make them as little children. And then it said, and somebody else wrote, no instruments of music are used. None are needed. No choir. The angels have been heard um, by some in the spirit. No collections are taken. No bills have been posted to advertise the meetings. No church organization is backing it. All who are in touch with God realize as soon as they entered the building that the Holy Ghost is the leader. That's what they're writing in the newspaper. That's what they're they're writing in the newspaper. They said, this is one little fact that I read. They said that people kept calling the fire department because they said there was flames on the roof. They said there was flames on the roof. The fire department would get there. Vanessa, the fire department would get there. There wouldn't be no flames. There wouldn't be be no no flames. flames. Look, the man who started the, I think it was the Assemblies of God, he had a construction company then, and he believed so much in the falling of the spirit. He, he believed so much in what was happening with this black man and these black people at this time. He sent over construction crews to try to clean up Azusa Street, to clean up the building. And the construction crews came in and all these black women was in their Tyrion. And by that time they got even close to the building, they started just falling out. Just in worship, just fall, the construction, these white boys. Just started falling out. They're like, "Oh no, what's happening?" <laughs> like, like "What's happening in this building? What's happening in this building? I don't know what it is, but I feel it." Right. So it was this beautiful. Now this is Jim Crow era. This beautiful coming together of people of all color, all genders, no religion, no hardly no even language that was discernible in worship together. Yo. I was like, this is amazing. So then what happened, Vanessa, is that 
all these different religious leaders like C.H. Mason came until they received the, 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 the filling of the spirit, right? Until they received speaking in tongues. So let's talk about speaking in tongues for a second, y'all. Yeah. I know, I know there's some skeptics. First of all, there were some skeptics who was coming to just watch. I told you this is the era right. of P.T. Martin. People were like, this is entertainment right here. So, and then half the people who came to watch left speaking in tongues. That's all I'm saying. Don't be questioning God like this. So this is, this is speaking in tongues, y'all. When you get filled by the Holy Ghost, and then you have these powerful utterances that sometimes come with uh, somebody who can also interpret it and prophesy to the people of what God is saying, okay? So believe it if you will, believe it if you won't. Ain't up to me because I believe it. I done seen it. I ain't never got it before, but God, you know, listen, I'm open. That's all I'm saying. I'm open. If you got a word for the people, I'm open. But so one of the things that was happening is that people were speaking in tongues and then it was getting prophesied. But because there was this international, like for over three years, essentially delegations to come to Azusa Street to figure out like how to be in touch with God like that, people started then interpreting actual languages back to what Parnum was saying. So this black woman was speaking in tongues one time and this man was like, she's speaking to me. And he was from the deep, deep, deep somewhere in West Africa, Vanessa. Yeah. He said, this is my mother tongue from West Africa and she's speaking to me. And the people was like, what? And this one, they were like, you haven't been to West Africa? The black lady, no, like, no, I ain't never been to West Africa. <laughs> but you understand what I mean? I so there was some, if you don't believe, listen, for all of those who believe that magic happens when you survive crazy things and that in order for crazy things to happen, that some people, sometimes the magic has to come through. This is what we are talking about. So the legacy of all of this, Vanessa, is that all of the charismatic Pentecostal holiness movements, particularly the black ones, trace their roots to this three-year revival called the Azusa Street Revival. Yeah. Whether you are Church of God in Christ from C.H. Mason, whether you are the Assemblies of God, whether you are Church of God, whether you are any of the holiness or charismatic churches all throughout Asia and West Africa, if you call yourself Pentecostal, because Acts talks about the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Ghost came down on people and, and made them speak in tongues. If you call yourself Pentecostal, this is your black your history. Name. This is the roots of what you do. Now, it all kind of evolved and people did different things, but this is where it came from. One black man with African roots in Louisiana who understood a calling on his life, who was obedient and fervent, who fasted and prayed, who found a wife who fasted and prayed, who listened and who was humble and who was filled with God's presence. And it was so undeniable that people from around the world came to study with this man, brought his teachings back and started entire denominations that today make 400 million charismatics around the world. 400 million charismatics around the world. So say what you will about today. Sorry, I'm talking about that. I'm talking like that man on five heartbeats. Sorry, I don't know why, but say what you will. <laughs> but I'm just saying, 
I am so deeply moved by this story, Vanessa. So then I was like, okay, what happened to, what happened to William Seymour? Well, here go the blueprint for movement building that you need to know what happened to Seymour. First of all, Pelham got real jealous because he was supposed to be the, you know, the, the golden child of the charismatic movement, the white man. He came to preach like in a second or third year and he started condemning everything they're doing. And he said, you're acting like wild Africans in here. He said, even the white people, he was like, and he wanted the black people to get up in the balcony or get up on the second floor. I mean, he was a straight up Jim Crow man. So he was just like, I don't like this and this and this and this and this. And the people were like, you got to go. So he left and right. then he started a compete. He started a competing church right down the street, Vanessa, because he was trying to get his shine. It didn't work. Nobody went. It didn't stand because the devil don't stand. So that's number. That's the first thing that tried to happen. Then there was fractioning off of people, and they had this. And um, that's a lesson, Morgan. Can I just say for so many people who are yes. worried about out there building something, but worried about who's copying it, who's going to do it? Like first, like you can get all the plans, you can get all the things, but what's for you is for you. And what's for um, you is for you. What's for you is for you. Yeah. What's for you is for you, Vanessa. And as I finish up this story, I'm going to encourage anybody who wants to correct the record to uh, raise your hand and star nine. But actually the spirit this call is one of testimony is one of saying what you either have been delivered from or what you are, how good you are feeling or how God has worked in your life. If you have any testimony, I want to provide space for that. We'll take three of those. And then if you have any prayer requests, and I'm going to tell you why for people who are skeptics, even on this line, who are judging, I don't care. Let me tell you why. Because here is why this movement was powerful. Because you free, first of all, we had just been through a trauma that in numbers was more severe than the Holocaust, where millions and millions and millions of Africans were murdered and killed. We then suffered for generations under the yoke of violence and terror. We were then free. We fought for our freedom. We weren't freed. We fought for our freedom. We died for our freedom, risked our lives for our freedom. And the first generation who was free wanted to find, question, interrogate, understand, and get close to God. So this was an experiment in faith and hope beyond measure. And so the yoked up power of a people coming together on one accord to seek God's face after terror is powerful. And to speak life over yourself when everybody wants you to die is the power of manifestation that if you believe it, you can achieve it. So the chanting that happens, the kind of gospel kind of repeat, um, uh, call and response that happens, the repeating of it's done, it's worked out, we are, it, it is well. That is the power of a collective consciousness bringing forth a kind of healing at a massive level that nobody, no scientist will ever be able to understand. And if we can source divine language of love in, in, a, in a system of trauma, y'all better be believers in this power because we need it now. That's all I'm saying. So if you have experienced this, if God has rained down on your life in the most troubling of times, if you understand what it is like to be among the lumpen proletariat, the people who have nothing but their faith, 
then you can call, you can raise your hand, star nine. All right. So Vanessa, he, yeah, he's a man. We already have he's a man people, and, by the way with their hand raised. Okay. He's, us know. Awesome. Yeah. He's, he is a man. And when he marries this woman named Jenny, who he just was, he thought was so gorgeous and she was so filled with the spirit. The woman who ran his newspaper, Vanessa, he had a newspaper called Apostolic Faith. They had a distribution of 40,000 newspapers in Los Angeles. So he was our, he was also like a proper journalist. He didn't think that he should have gotten married to one of the like missionaries. And so she staged a protest against the marriage. We don't know what was going on, y'all. We don't know what's going on. But she staged a protest and she took the whole listserv of 40,000 people who, they, who was the subscribers of the newspaper. She took the whole listserv up to Portland. Don't be that woman, y'all. Don't be that woman. Just what's and it, it, it crippled. What's for you is for you. And what ain't for you just ain't for you. You ain't got to take the listserv. What ain't for you just ain't for you. Leave the lister behind. Okay. Vanessa, this lady, I ain't even going to say her name in history, but this lady, she was heartbroken or something. Look, I, I might have been there one two, a time or two. I done took a lister or two. That's what I'm trying to say. Don't do it, y'all. Don't do it. Don't do it. You see, this man got the whole anointing on him. You like, this is from me. He's like, no, no, no. You know, anyway, like, I done right, this love- man up. I done done all this stuff. Okay, y'all. Don't do it, though. Don't do it. So that crippled the movement. And then he actually suffered from two heart attacks in his 50s, um, Vanessa, going back even to heart health and kind of even taking care of yourself as a leader of a revolutionary movement. And so he passed away around 50, I think 52 or something like that, but not before he had launched a revival of all of the African ways of connecting with God, not before he had launched a religious movement of free black people that connected with our allies all across the world. Not before, way before the 19th amendment, he had put women in positions of power and equality and not before all across Asia and Africa, charismatic churches in the, in the numbers and populations of 400 million had followed in his footsteps. So we wanted to talk about 312 Azusa street today for that reason. Let's open up the lines. What y'all got to say? Good morning. Good afternoon. I just want to say that you guys, you ladies are wonderful. I look forward to boot camp. I have not been able to participate because I had a blessing that is part of this testimony, but you got me out here walking because it's my day off, a 16-minute mile pace. I am on fire because of you ladies. And my testimony is that when people count you out, you just have to be patient. You have to have faith. You got to know the Holy Spirit is in there. My story is that I waited a long time to become a judge. And it was not something that I had for myself, but it was in God's working. I wanted to be a social worker. I started working with juveniles. I saw that there was a need for advocacy for our African-American boys. I took that route. I went to law school. I worked in a job that I hated for 10 years. God opened another door. I worked in child protective services for 18 years, loved every minute of it, helping families and trying to turn back when they were trying to terminate parental rights, I was an advocate for our people and trying to do the right thing and making sure everybody got a fair shake. And then an opportunity came and people over a 10 year period of time asked me, did I want to be a judge? And I said, I got to pray about that. They looked at me like I had an eye in the middle of my forehead, but I prayed and it took 10 years. 
And the last three have been so traumatic. There were so many doors that were blocked. And I am happy to tell you that I am the second African-American in my county, second African-American female. Thank you. The one that came before me had to leave in order for me to get her seat. But God opened that door. We did not see it coming. It's not even my county. It's not someplace I saw myself going. But I tell you, the Holy Spirit and praying people and parents and just believing and having patience, that's all you need to do. And I'm telling you, that Holy Spirit is real. Filled, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's my testimony. I thank you, sisters, for taking us along. Oh, Judge, we're so proud of you. And I'm so grateful that there's somebody so loving in your seat. Our kids need it. Our communities need it. And I just thank God for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sister. Let's keep the testimony thank you. coming. Good and morning. then think about it. Good, Good morning. morning. This is Rosalind Morris from Alabama. And I want to say to you, Morgan, you put this girl on fire because you have done a phenomenal, phenomenal job of giving the history about receiving the Holy Ghost and how it came about. And I'm, as I walk, my soul is on fire because October the 28th, 1984, I remember seeking in the church at Greater Bethlehem Temple in Jackson, Mississippi, Greater Bethlehem Temple Apostolic Church, where my pastor was the pastor. And when God called me and he told me, he said, I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. And I began to call on the name of the Lord. And I began to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I began to do that and just let it in my mind saying, God, I surrender. I'm ready to be filled with your spirit. I'm ready to do right. And I'm here to tell you about 2.30 that day, I began to speak in tongues, a language, a fluent language. I'm not talking about, you know, just saying a phrase back and forth, but I'm talking about a fluent language. And when I finished speaking in tongues, I began to say, I got the Holy Ghost. And before I can get that out, I began to speak again, not just that experience, but I speak daily. Hallelujah. I thank God because God has been what his word said. He told them, he said, I send you back, even though I'm leaving. I'm going to send you back, he told the disciples, I'm going to send you back a comforter. And a comforter is a helper. God will be whatever we need him to be. And I'm here to tell you over these 38 years, I need him to, I have needed him. And he has been a friend, a counselor. He has been comfort. He has been peace. He's been a way maker. He's been a burden bearer. The list can go on and on, but I'm here to tell you it is real. It is real. And what you said, what we need is the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this time to continue to do what we do. You, you, you gave the, the history so well with conviction. And if I didn't know it, I thought you would, I would have not thought you would have been. <laughs> you are still. I, I'm here to tell you. She I is filled. Miss Moore Rosalind, she is filled. Yes. I thought yes, she said yes, she yes. wasn't here. She had an experience. But, but Rosalind, I'm going to tell you. Listen, Rosalind. <laughs> Rosalind, I'm over here crying. The sun is shining down. Listen, preach to the people, first of all. That's number one. Number two, y'all done experienced God's presence so real, so cold. So, I mean, where I became at one time porous and solid as a rock, big and small. I mean, where I done felt the absolute light, where I am expansive and bigger than I could ever, where I am before and after. Just me, my little self, because God has just 
filled me with his presence. I have felt it, Rosalind. I understand that what I do here don't got nothing to do with this little girl from Wichita. I understand that me and Vanessa are two or three gathered. I understand that there's now a million that are prayed of women every single day who walk through the streets of their neighborhoods. I understand. I have so much conviction. I don't even need to explain it to nobody. Never. I'm just telling you, I ain't never spoken no tongue. I'm like, like, like Seymour. I'm like, listen, I get you. I understand. I'll be hearing y'all do it all the time. Like I'm just saying, and I'll be hearing it and I'll be respectful. I'll be holding it together. And I'm just saying, that's the one thing I have not, I have not done, but I have been, I have been so close to God that God and me are the same person sometimes, not, not in no sacrilegious way, but where I am just, I'm no longer myself. There, there's no part of me that's more even recognizable. You understand what I mean? Like, I don't even understand. It, I don't, I feel yeah. it. I feel it. I hear it. And God has gifted you. You have, a, and that's why I said to you, we were on the way to the stretch protest, because of your foundation, because of your exposure to God in the church of God in Christ, this is what have helped your trick be where it is today because you and Vanessa invite and involve and talk about God and how we need him and brought in prayer nine days of prayer. We have repeatedly have done that over the years and God's hand is up on you all and it's continuing up on you all and you are continuing to evolve. We're where we are because of God. And I, you all are doing some things that churches haven't, haven't done. You captain, I could go on and I, I'm going to be quiet because you're really going to stir me up. But keep doing what you're doing because he has called <laughs> you for a great work and don't come down. Oh, I thank you. I thank you for that word, Rosalind. I thank you. I thank you for that word. All right. <laughs> last testimony, y'all. It's last testimony. Last testimony. She was about to get riled up. I'm like, y'all, she ain't riled up. She on fire. Praise God. Praise God, yeah. Vanessa, I'm so proud of you. People don't even when know I think our testimonies. Of the Jesus. Yes, yeah, come on, come on, come on, come on. When I think I, no, I was just going to say Jesus. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and all he's done for me, my soul cries out. Hallelujah. Thank oh, God oh. for saving me. I thank God. I thank God. I thank God. My name is Raina Dotson. I'm calling in from Kokomo, Indiana. I'm sitting next to my sister, Devana, Dr. Anderson Beard. We are looking, I'm looking at the church that my, our ancestors built, that they raised the beams with their hands. They came through the great migration from Arkansas and Memphis, where they worked with C.H. Mason to build the Church of God in Christ. And we are that legacy. We are here. We are on fire. We are walking with you. We are praying with you. We are covering one another in prayer. We are filled with the Spirit. And God is going to take this movement beyond anything that we could even ask or think Mm -hmm. because you are covered in the anointing. The anointing rests upon you. The anointing rests upon us. And there's a greater work. It's more than just the health movement. It's more than just getting our hearts together in the physical sense. God is electrifying us and he's going to bring about another movement in a spiritual sense, Mm -hmm. because that is what is needed in this day and time in order for us to survive into the next generation. Just like our ancestors did what they did on Azusa Street 
to get us to today, there's something that's, a, that's happening right now. And Morgan and Vanessa, I, I'm so grateful that you are being used of God, that you are vessels of God, mm-hmm. because you have transformed me. You have transformed millions of people, mm-hmm. not just in now time, but I'm talking about generational mm-hmm. time and God's time. And I'm grateful. And you are going to receive the power of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. In the name of Jesus. I'm speaking it right now. Mm-hmm. Morgan. And and hallelujah and amen. Hallelujah and amen. And amen. Vanessa <laughs> might already got it. Vanessa might already got it. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to tell y'all. She don't be Love. telling y'all stuff, but she might already got it. You know, <laughs> listen, listen. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. And let me tell you something. You, Rosalind, and, and the judge who came on first, y'all are the Jennies in this story. Y'all done got it before. We is the Seymours. We just trying to pull it together. We just want y'all to walk for better health. Because listen, we don't want to die premature because we got work to do on this planet. We are the yeah, leaders work. that this globe is calling for. And we want your hearts to be healthy. We want your bodies to be temples. We Don't you know that you're, yes. we want you to be a living sacrifice? You understand what I mean? We yes. want your bodies to be alive, y'all. Because mm-hmm. that is what we are. That is what we are being called to do. Our bodies are no longer owned by nobody else. And we have to make sure mm-hmm. that it is in alignment with the will. So listen, I'm grateful mm. for y'all. I want, we are at an hour because listen, the spirit done moved and listen, that's okay. I want, if there's anybody on the line. This was a walk in church service and we just got <laughs> to go to the church services. <laughs> oh, All right. Listen, if there's anybody on the line who has a testimony, um, please go ahead and drop off the line, but make sure that you tell somebody today your testimony. Don't just hop off the line. You tell somebody today your testimony. If you have a prayer request, and I will just take the extra two or three minutes it's going to require for this. If you have a prayer request, I want you to stay on the line with your hand raised, star nine, and we will take three prayer requests. If you have a prayer request, thank you so much, sister, for that word. I appreciate it. I believe we soldiers, Vanessa. I know you got the anointing on you. I've seen you, girl. I see. I know you reading the Bible. I know you just on Leviticus, but I'm just. You never answer on Leviticus, but that's all right. I'm going slow because I got to get understanding. I ain't trying to perform reading the Bible. I'm trying to understand. So I've been like. Well, let me. I gotta read it over. I gotta Google. I gotta sit with it. I gotta be like God, reveal what those words mean to me, and it just be one little chapter after one little chapter. But already just Leviticus alone, I'm really getting it. I'm really getting to understand around everything about what I always knew in my bones. But to get some understanding around it, I feel like it's gonna position me to be a better leader. So yeah, I'm trying to get the words, trying to get the understanding, all of that. Come on, somebody. And Vanessa, I'm going to tell you, there's nobody that I know. First of all, the people don't know, if people knew what God done brought you through, they would, they would, they would jump for joy with you. And the one thing that I know is, you know, there's a story about that army that, um, God was like, make a noise and then you'll, and your praise and your joy is going to confuse the enemy. I don't know nobody who's better at that than you. Where you Thank confuse you. everybody with your gratitude, with your joyful noise, with your, no matter what you're going through, Vanessa, because you understand the power of that. You understand the, the power of like righteous gratitude. You understand the power of saying it is before it is. You understand what I mean? Like, I, mm-hmm. girl, 
I just be so inspired by you. So I'm so grateful to be leading this health movement together. And I yeah. ask God to just fill up the space to be in that furnace yeah. with us. I ask God to continue to bring Jennies into our lives, women that are filled, women, women that are grounded, women that are stretched to the heavens. Like I ask God for his covering over this movement. I ask God for his covering over our bodies and our health and, that, and over our minds that we make good decisions. I ask God to help me one time just fast and pray. <laughs> just one time, God, I just hit me hard. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, y'all. I didn't and, look, are fasting is really something that I really, it was one of the things from the story that I was just like, he fasted. First, like, so, like we yeah. have to get ourselves in that posture and in that position and, that, and it's that area in my own life, just like Sabbath, where I feel like, oh, this is a specific instruction for us. It's a specific yeah. how-to. And we can't be ignoring the how-tos and getting all complicated. Like, there's some basic stuff we can be yeah. doing. Yeah. Well, you can't always <laughs> be hungry. You can't always yes. be thirsty and hungry in the flesh. Sometimes you got to understand how to get past the flesh. That's so right. So that you can be thirsty and hungry for God. That's all I'm saying. And we'd be so distracted. Yes. By fried chicken, we'd be so distracted. You know what I mean? That we, we start to medicate ourselves with all these kinds of, like, all these things, Vanessa, we start to medicate ourselves with all these things and have these addictions that we, we're too, we can't even make eye contact with. I heard this, I heard this preacher yesterday. He's the one who I called you. I called Vanessa and I was like, he said, you get what you expect. And Vanessa was like, I've been on that Morgan. That is not, I was like, no, but it's so simple. You get what you expect. But that same pastor, Vanessa, he had an A1C of 14, which is very dangerous and deadly. Okay. And he was, he said that he was about to pass out. And the doctor was like, I don't even know how you're walking around. You're not in a diabetic coma. And so he's standing on that um, pulpit today talking about my wife just refused to cook any more food for me. That was going to kill me. She just refused to do it. Yeah. Now it's at 5.3 and he was, he couldn't even preach. He was just running around that pulpit. He was so happy he could live. So I just want y'all running around so happy that we can live y'all. I don't want you so filled, but you can't hardly breathe. (sighs) I don't That's want right. that. For or, so, or so tired that you cannot move or so weary in your spirit that you can't dream, you know, or so beat I'm, down yeah. that you don't have any hope. Like all of those things are happening to us. It's not just that we have a decreased quantity of life in terms of the number of years, but our quality of life also. It can grow. Vanessa. Can yes. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm saying yes, girl. That's it. That is, yeah. it. and you know, Twyla and I did that, that thing called prayer postures. And mm-hmm. it was basically like, I don't even know if half of us can be in the posture of prayer or our knees is going to be hurt or our blood pressure is going to be up. You understand what I Ooh. mean? Like getting down on your knees to even pray. I mean, when William Seymour said that he would get down, he had like two shoe, wooden shoe boxes for a pulpit. And they say he would put his head in one almost like, like to try to get, to try to get secret, to try to disappear. Like in, like, he, like put it on the pew. He would just get, put his head in one of these and just be tearing in the spirit. But I'm just saying, I don't even know if I could be in that posture for long enough before my feet start falling asleep and my anemia start, you know, all these things start acting up, your gout start acting up. So I'm saying let's even get healthy enough so we can be in a posture of prayer, y'all. Let's just get healthy enough so that we can fast without, you know, our sugar going up. So all these things are a call to action in this life to make your body a living sacrifice, uh, holy and acceptable, y'all, holy and acceptable. So Last, last, last. Are there raised hands for prayer requests? You got a lot of soldiers on the line. Y'all, man, oh man. This is Teresa from Oakland. 
I have been walking with you all. This is my second boot camp. I walked the cosmonauts. It just inspired me to great heights. And through following you and the inspiration and the power it gave me, my business partner and I created this beautiful work in the world called the menopause camp because we're on the health track too in a different way um, than you all are. And um, you have been our inspiration every day. Today is no difference. Um, this weekend was supposed to be our inaugural camp. And her mother passed. Mm. And we've not been able to do the work that we're here to do. So when you said earlier, what's for you is for you. It meant so much to me. It's been very hard to stay the course. We fought canceling it. We didn't know why we were being called to cancel it. And we fought the, the feeling. We fought each other. We did all the stuff that comes. And then her mother passed, and we knew that God knows more than we know. And it wasn't time. It was time for this piece. So my prayer request is for two things. First and foremost, is for my business partner. Her name is Hope. She lives uh, just outside of Atlanta in Ackworth, Georgia, and she is a force for good like I seldom see in the world. And I just want all the women of the world to lift her up as she goes through this process of creating a funeral and a home going for her mother. I also want to lift up this work because we suffer with menopause. We suffer with our menstrual cycles. We don't have to. We don't have to. This work that you're doing with us walking, bringing our weight under control, bringing our health un under control, it changes the way we age. And as we age, our wisdom grows and we need our bodies to be strong so that we can be that face of wisdom in the world because no one heals and does that like black women's bodies, minds, and spirits. So um, just put hope on her, your prayer list. Her name is Hope Cheeks. And um, I just want her surrounded in love and light as she does what we so often do in being the strong one and the capable one in the family and the one who rises up and gets it done, often unsupported, unseen, unrewarded, and unrecognized. Oh, we will. We will lift up your sister, Hope, and people out there doing that. And sister, I, I don't know if you were at the stress test in um, Colorado, but someone at the last day told us that we need to be thinking more about menopause and we need to be thinking more about aging. And so I will yeah. invite you to come up. Um, it's not necessarily a camp, but it kind of is. Maybe you could do a day zero. Maybe people could sign up. If there's any way that you, that you think that we might be able to support you, I would be happy to because I believe in your work and I believe in what you're doing. And you need your own podcast because what you were speaking was truth. <laughs> so... I'm thinking, um, so you know my email. If not, you can follow me at Morgan Trex on Instagram and inbox me and I will find you um, and I'll put you in contact with it. So, um, I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. There is a story out here, a narrative about women and aging that makes us 
feel invisible and useless and dried up. And it is not what we are seeing with ourselves and our friends. It is a time of vibrance and vitality. Um, I wrote a book about our periods, and that's what led into this. And so I am absolutely determined to change the narrative. I will reach out. Please do. Please do. And I will share anything I learned with you all there, too, on Instagram. All right. uh, Let's take two more prayer requests. Thank you so much, sis. Even if you are uttering your own quiet little prayer request. Vanessa, do you have a prayer request? Mm, Yes. We are now only six weeks to the end of the Girl Trek season, I feel like. We just have like six weeks left. And I'm personally praying that I'm, for myself, I'm asking for prayer to make these six weeks really count. I want it to end the season really strong and to be able to really celebrate the work um, that has happened this year. And so just prayers as we put that plan into place. And then prayers for our entire team, especially our full-time staff who will be going into off-season prayers that they spend this time really thinking about what they need and how they will get it and that they can spend that time um, really receiving it and trusting um, that those six weeks of rest are really for them. Love that. I love that. I woke up this morning, actually, you know how that we, both of us always see those angel numbers everywhere. It was 222. I woke up and Shekinah glory was, I was singing it. And God is lifting you higher at 222 yeah. this morning. And I was just like, okay, God, okay, okay. Let me go to sleep. But I woke up and I, my prayer request is that, um, that I, I won't mess it up. <laughs> like pray that I will just be, I'm not, I don't want to pray for humility. Y'all don't pray for that for me. Pray that I will be obedient to God's voice and I will be obedient to love. I will be obedient to truth. That I will be the kind of leader that, that people see less of me and more of that love, more of that truth, more of that, like whatever. I pray for that. I also, in the just physical sense, I don't want to, I don't want to age alone and I don't have any children and I want the love of a lifetime. I want the love of a lifetime that helps me to spiral up and I help him to spiral up and we are just expansive and that we are movements by ourselves, but we are forced together. I'm asking for that. So that's, that's my prayer request. Let's take, if there's another caller, we'll take it. If not, we will finish up. Vanessa, I want Where to know are you in this man you spiraling up is going, I'm going to be there with you. Just know. Hello. Oh, you're welcome. You that's welcome. what I'm just saying. Me and whoever I'm spiraling up with. I'm saying you ain't aging alone regardless. No kids on us. I'm going to be right next to you at, behind. Yay. And we're going to be somewhere together. There ain't going to be no aloneness happening in this world. you got to love a lifetime. It's this little partnership. And we're going to bring some men on Listen. into it. But we ain't going to be alone. All right. Okay. Hi there. Everybody okay, let's take, we got to take this last prayer. Let's take this last prayer. Yeah. I got to go. Hello. My name is Shelly Jones. I am a um, state coach in Houston, Texas. And I just want to tell, I've told y'all this before, but Morgan and Vanessa, I love y'all. You, This movement gives me life every day. And when you say a prayer request, it hit me because I am dealing with my son who is 25 and he has mental illness. So um, I, even though I'm dealing with that, I'm still repping Girl Trek. I'm still doing my best to recruit as many women as I can in the tech, in Texas, in Houston, to lead in this movement because it is so powerful. Um, so that's my prayer request. Mental illness is real 
And um, it is. I'm struggling with it. It brings me to my knees a lot of times. But yes, I, yes. I have faith. I believe that God listens and he knows what's happening. So I'm just putting my trust in him. And yes. um, I keep. I keep praying and I keep listening to you guys and I keep walking and I keep talking. I'm gonna keep moving yes. and yes. I know that God is gonna bring bring a, a good end for this for him and me. Amen. And Shelly, you have a man. And Shelly, you have um, our email addresses. There's also a, um, one of our most powerful volunteers named Cassandra in Kansas, who okay. at the stress protest was saying that she just found out that her son is also suffering from mil- mental illness or heal or being healed from mental illness. And mm-hmm. I want you guys to to connect and pray together too, because I do believe okay. when two people are together. So I will put you in contact yeah. with her as well. And then if there's one other okay. quick one like that, thank you, Shelly, for making it quick. Um, I did want to get in a third one. I don't want anybody to be disappointed. Here we go. Thank you, Shelly. Hi. Thank you so much for taking the last call. I was newly ordained uh, two weeks ago, and I my prayer request is that I continue to listen to hear and to obey what God has ordained for me to do. I'm all newly ordained. Uh, We will put that up. We will put that up for you and for all of our spiritual leaders out there. We know there are so many missionaries, so many evangelists, um, apostolic church. I didn't mention them too, our, our members of this kind of root system, all of the ministers out there, whether you are in a church, a traditional church or outside of a traditional church, but that you are ministering love and truth. We want you to be lifted up and we want you to take good care of yourselves to walk the walk every day and make sure that you are doing what is required to keep your fire burning. So we will certainly pray for you, sister. On that note, y'all, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being with us. We went a little long. We're going to end in um, the answer to those requests, uh, those prayer requests with Jacqueline Carr. It's yours. It's already yours. Yes, it's already yours. It's it is your birthright. Yours. Here we go. Ooh. Bye, everyone. Bye, Vanessa. Bye. Can you give our miracle worker a hand tonight? Oh, come on, listen. I said the miracle worker. I said the miracle worker. You want to open up your mouth and give God glory. If you want it, you can have it If you need it to